So for the last several weeks, we've been focused on rules of revelation. We started with how to recognize revelation. What form does it come? And I hope as we've gone, you begin to recognize he speaks a lot more than I realized he did. And I'm beginning to recognize all these different ways that he speaks. And then I have more control over him speaking than I realized. So much of revelation is in your control. As we've talked about rules of revelation, even something simple like letting go of the harm people do to you, forgiving opens up floods of revelation. Um, And so we've been focused on one half of the form of revelation. Now, Elder Oaks gave a great talk on this where he talked about there are two lines of communication. Between me and God, there are two lines of communication. Communication comes in two ways. One is personal. And we spent... We spent this whole class talking about revelation directly from Heavenly Father to me, that I get to speak to deity and he speaks to me and I receive revelation. I know he lives because he communicates with me. But now we're going to spend the next several weeks on the priesthood line. Now you can imagine how difficult it would be if there was no central place where revelation came, no source. Imagine if each person individually had to come to understand the plan of salvation for themselves. Well, I think there's three kingdoms of glory. No, I think there's four. Well, I think there's five. That would be chaos, doctrinally speaking, wouldn't it? And so there has to be, for the sake of continuity, for the sake of, there has to be revelation that doesn't come to me that it doesn't come to you. I'm not entitled to that level of revelation. I can't call myself on a mission. I can't decide what the temple endowment is. I don't set the covenants. Can you imagine the chaos in this kingdom if that was a personal line of communication? So there has to be a level of communication that comes to prophets, seers, or revelators, a central source. Now, what I want to talk about over the next several weeks is understanding the connection between them. For example, those of you who went on a mission, how impactful was your mission in terms of your spirituality? How much did your mission change your communication and connection to God? So had I not participated in a priesthood line of communication type event, I would have missed out on personal revelation. So what are the major tools? What are the tools that have come through the priesthood line of communication that will dramatically impact my personal communication? You want to throw some out? Okay. We need to talk about using scriptures to improve my personal revelation. I will testify that very few things will have a greater influence in your personal revelation than how you use scripture. 
That's why we have them. That's why prophets, seers, and revelators revealed them. That's why Moroni buried them. That's why Moroni came back to Joseph and very carefully had them translated. They are more useful than we often realize. In fact, let me set that up. Turn with me to to Alma chapter 37. I think we quote a scripture a lot, and it's fine that we quote it out of context, but we need to put it back in context. Alma 37 uses the phrase, by small and simple things or great things come to pass, right? How many times have you quoted that? And what you're usually talking about is small things bring about great things. We are taking that out of context. That is not the context in which Alma is using it. And it's fine because it's a true doctrine. Out of small things, great things come to pass. But can anyone tell me the context in which Alma says that? to his son Helaman. It's keeping the, you think it might be silly to take such care of the scriptures. That's the context. Now, what's the application for you and I? I don't have stewardship over the scriptures and not very many people today do. So what's the application to you and I? You might think it's silly to for me to teach that reading scriptures will have a profound impact in your life. You might think that concept is silly, but what's the reality? By small things are great things come to pass. And so using scripture, we could spend weeks on how to improve my spirituality through scripture study, how to get more out of the scriptures. How do I study the scriptures? Now, how many of you read the scriptures and it just... And we have moments where it's like, I'm not getting anything out of this. So how do I get more out of the scriptures? We could go, we could spend the rest of the semester going that down that road. But that's one powerful priesthood tool to improve personal revelation. Give me another one. Say that again. Okay, so we've got Sunday worship. How do I get more out of church? How do I get more out of sacrament? How do I get more out of going to church? That's a great discussion to have. We go to a lot of effort to provide meetings for us to go to. Are you getting personal revelation? Do you, well, let's read it. Go to section 43. We'll just throw a few commentaries in on each one of these, and then we'll jump into whichever ones you want to tackle in whatever order. So go go to section 43. What is the purpose of going to church? All right, Doctrine and Covenants section 43. I love how it's worded here. I think this is the best wording you'll find. Start in verse 8. And now behold, I give unto you a commandment that when ye are assembled together, ye shall instruct and edify each other. That you may know how to act and direct my church how to act upon the points of my law and commandments which I have given. So go to church to learn how to act. Now, sometimes that happens. 
And when it doesn't happen, maybe this is the best thing that could happen instead. And thus, ye shall become instructed in the law of my church and be sanctified by that which ye have received. And ye shall bind yourselves to act. So maybe if I don't get how to act upon the law, I should walk away from Sunday worship having bound myself to act in holiness before him. Sometimes that's the best thing that comes out of church. Isn't I didn't walk away with some new insight on how to obey and live and govern, but I walked away totally committed to doing better. There's another tool. Okay, got another one for me? I would love, I don't think we have enough time, but I would love to spend a night on how to get more out of your patriarchal blessing. How do you get more? Out of your patriarchal blessing. I have, how many sections of the Doctrine and Covenants do you guys have? 138? I have 146. I have 146 sections of the Doctrine and Covenants. Can you guess why? Can you guess what is section 139 of my scriptures? My patriarchal blessing. And section 140 is my wife's. And section 141 is my daughter Ashley's. And section 142 is my daughter Brittany's. You see where I'm going? Those are scriptures to children over whom I have responsibility. Now, guess what? Did Heavenly Father speak to me in the blessings of my children? You better believe he did. And so I read them frequently. They are glued into my scriptures. And I know you laugh because my scriptures are electronic, but back in the day, they were glued into my scriptures. And now I have in my scriptures, section 139, section 140, 141, 140, all the way up to 146. And as soon as my daughter gets her blessing, it'll be 147. I would encourage more and better use of your patriarchal blessing. That is a tool intended to bring personal revelation. Great. That's a great one. Give me another one. You could see we could spend an entire another course on this concept. But let me add two I want to make sure we don't miss. This one we will talk about. Taking advantage of temple worship to improve personal revelation. How do I get more out of the temple? How do I receive more personal revelation through the tool of the temple? Unfortunately, sometimes the temple gets downplayed over other events. Typically, when do Latter-day Saints go to the temple? Males typically go to the temple when they're going on a mission. So what's on their mind? What's the excitement? What's the thrill? 
the mission. And temple becomes what? A step in order to go on a mission. Well, forgive me, but can I go to the celestial kingdom without going on a mission? Can I go to the celestial kingdom without my temple endowment? So why does the temple become a step to go on a mission instead of its own focus? When do traditionally females go to the temple? And I'm luckily this is changing. I'm so happy that this is changing. But back in my day, my wife was endowed one week before our wedding. Now, what's exciting? What's thrilling? What's, what's on her mind? The wedding. She got to be my wife. And what's not on her mind? The temple endowment. And luckily that's changing. We need to get more out of the temple. We need to make it a tool of personal revelation. We need to go to the temple to receive revelation. One more I want to make sure we throw up here is we need to learn how to hear God through his prophet. That will save your soul in the days ahead. We have to understand how to hear personal revelation through a prophet. Now, what has our modern prophet said? You will not be able to survive spiritually in the days to come if you don't know how to receive revelation. And part of that revelation will come through him. Let me illustrate. Um, there are, if you think in the Book of Mormon, there are four clouds of darkness in the Book of Mormon. Not four, three. three. Three clouds of darkness. Three times when there is a cloud of darkness. Can you name them? What's the first mist of darkness? Going chronologically through the Book of Mormon, the first mist of darkness is the tree of life. Now, what penetrates the darkness? The what? The Word of God. The Word of God penetrates the darkness. Okay, what's the next darkness? That the next cloud of darkness is Nephi and Lehi in the prison in Helaman 5. Turn there. Turn to Helaman chapter 5. So there, th 300 men come into the, preacher, the, the, the prison to do harm to Nephi and Lehi. The, the fire comes down and encircles Nephi and Lehi, and a cloud of dark, darkness overshadows the 300 people. Now, in a very, very symbolic moment, this is Helaman chapter 5. In a very symbolic moment, what? Go to the verse 36. What penetrates the darkness in Helaman 5? The the face of the prophet. The face of the prophet. So, so far that's two, right? What penetrates the darkness of our lives? The word of God, learning to study scripture to get out of the darkness. And number two, learning to face the prophet. No matter how dark the days ahead, no matter what happens, no matter what's coming, 
Whose face will you always be able to see in the darkness ahead? A prophet. But there's a problem with that. Let me tell you the danger. Tell me when prophets speak. In what day do prophets speak? Turn to section 101 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Let me let the Lord set the language here. Section 101 of the Doctrine and Covenants, speaking as to why they got kicked out of Jackson County. What happened that got them kicked out of Jackson County? The Lord uses an interesting phrase here, verses 7 and 8. Tell me in what day do prophets speak? And in what day do they not? So they were slow to hearken the voice of the Lord of their God. Therefore, the Lord of their, the Lord, their God is slow to hearken unto their prayers to answer them in the day of trouble. In the day of their peace, they esteemed lightly my counsel. But in the day of their trouble, of necessity, they fill after me. When do people's prayers become much more earnest? in the day of trouble. But when do prophets speak? When do prophets give their counsel? In the day of peace. If you follow a prophet's counsel in the day of trouble, it's too late. When did, Nephi, when did, it, when did Noah tell them to get on the boat? How much rain? How much rain was falling when Noah told them to get on the boat? None. And when the rain fell and it was starting to get serious and, oh, we need a boat. Can they get on? The door's locked and sealed. I can't open the door at this point or we all perish. When was the window to get on the boat? In the day of peace. Not in the day of trouble. So each one of these is worthy of two or three or four weeks Tell me what you'd like to do. We have 45 minutes left. No, we don't. We have a half an hour left today. We could tackle one of them. Tell me what you'd like to cover. You each get two votes. Ready? You get two votes. Scripture. Sunday worship. Patriarchal blessings. Okay, that's probably a definite yes. Temple. Okay, that's a yes. How about prophets? Okay. All right. Let's start, because of Macy. Macy's going to the temple before we meet again. That's an appropriate one to start with. How do we get more out of the temple? Let me start today. We'll, talk, we'll, do that. we'll start today and we'll do one more on that subject. But how do I get more out of the temple? And I would suggest today that if you understand why do we build them? Why do we build temples? Now, unfortunately, you and I go to the temple to perform ordinances. And that's fabulous. And I love that. But can I, for the sake of tonight, take the ordinance out? Instead of going there to be endowed or going there to be married, why do we build temples? And if I understand that purpose, it opens up a door of personal revelation. So let's go to dedicatory prayers. 
Let's turn to section 109, the Kirtland Temple Dedicatory Prayer, and then we'll go to Solomon's Dedicatory Prayer, and we'll use a little bit of Salt Lake. Let's turn to Dedicatory Prayers. Let's go to section 109. Doctrine and Covenant section 109 is the Dedicatory Prayer of the Kirtland Temple, the first dedicated temple in this dispensation. Now, look at very carefully, what does Joseph say about the Dedicatory Prayer? What does it say in that chapter heading? Tell me what Joseph said. It was given to him by revelation. Now that's odd. We pray to Heavenly Father. And Joseph is being told what to say to Heavenly Father. Joseph is being told what to say to Heavenly Father. Here, say this to me. Why would that happen? Why is that the case? Why would Heavenly Father tell him what to say to Heavenly Father? No one on earth had ever dedicated a temple. Does Joseph even conceive, does even Joseph conceive of what that building was for? So what is Heavenly Father doing? I need to make sure you understand what this building is for. Here's specific things you need to say in the dedication. So say this, Joseph. So let's start in verse 5. Doctrine and Covenant section 109 Verse 5, why do we build temples? For thou knowest that we have done this work through great poverty and out of our poverty, through great tribulation and out of our poverty, we have given of our substance to build a house. Now, that's not Joseph speaking to God. That's God giving the words to Joseph, which means what? What's Heavenly Father saying? I recognize what it cost you to build this temple. Now, let me tell you why I asked you to do it. That. That word is significant. You built this temple out of tribulation and poverty. That. And I think this sentence was divine. Why do we build temples? that the Son of Man may have a place to manifest Himself to His people. Now, for just one moment, will you take the ordinances out and see that building as a house of increased divine attention? A temple is a house of increased divine attention. Now, can I pray in my shower? Can I pray in my car? Can I pray in my bedroom? Can he hear me? Of course. But when you walk into his house, you get increased divine attention because who's in that house? Covenant-keeping people who have made promises to him. In that house, you receive increased divine attention. And he's telling that that. This is why I had you build the house, that I can manifest myself in ways I can't anywhere else. So why should you go to the temple? To hear something, to feel something, to get an answer. I am taking my concerns to the problem. Now we need the Old Testament dedication. Go to Solomon's dedication. 1 Kings chapter 8. Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 8, is Solomon's dedication of the temple. 
Now notice in verse 22. He spread forth his hands towards heaven and he starts to dedicate it. Is it far-fetched to assume the Lord gave Solomon this dedicatory prayer as well? And the Lord revealed it. And he said, this is what I want you to say. Now let's go to verse 37. This is the dedicatory prayer. If there be in the land famine, if there be pestilence or blasting or mildew or locusts, if there be caterpillar. Now those are very Old Testament problems. Can we modernize that? If there be health issues, addiction problems, social problems, financial problems, what if their enemy besieged them in the land of their cities, whatsoever plague, whatsoever sickness there be, what keeps you up at night? What concern keeps you up at night? That's your caterpillar or your locust or your blasting or your pestilence. Now here's the offer. What prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all thy people Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart and spread forth his hands towards this house. You come here where there is increased divine attention. You bring them here. And he promises what? He promises to hear, to forgive, to do, and to give. That's the promise of the temple. Bring me your problems and partner with me and I will help you. If we get increased divine attention in the temple, do we get increased divine help? And far too many people forget that. The first place you should go when you need Heavenly Father's help is where? Where do my children go when they need my help? They come to my house. Where should we go when we need our Heavenly Father's help? Our Heavenly Father's house. Now, let me illustrate this, okay? Remember, this is how Solomon dedicated the temple. Let me show you a moment in Jewish history where the Lord kept the promise. Turn to first or Second Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat is king of Judah. And an enemy has besieged him. Remember this part? If their enemy besieged them in the land, an enemy has besieged Jehoshaphat. Moab has come in great forces. So first, Chron- or sec- uh, second, Chron- second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Did I say first? Okay, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. King Jehoshaphat is king over Israel. All right, verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It came to pass that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon 
and with them there besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Now, I want you to see this symbolically. This army, the Moabite army, is whatever keeps you up at night. Financial obligations I don't know how to pay. Concerns over my children I don't know how to solve. Health issues that doctors tell me they can't solve. That is the army that has besieged me. There cometh a great multitude against thee. Now what normally happens, we fear. But I love what Jehoshaphat does. He set himself to seek the Lord by proclaiming a fast through all of Judah. He gathered them to ask help of the Lord. Now, where do you think they're going to gather? Where does Jehoshaphat gather the people? Look at verse 5. In the house of the Lord. Now he prays. Jehoshaphat prays and reminds God of the, of the, of the dedicatory prayer. He's going to quote the dedicatory prayer. He says, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou not God in heaven and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art thou not our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the, thy seed Abraham, thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name saying. So he's going to quote the dedicatory prayer. Do you remember what we said, Lord? Do you remember what you promised? That if when evil come upon us as the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine or debt or finances, or health issues, or social issues, or faith issues. If we stand before this house and in thy presence, cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou you said you would hear and help. So here we are. And then Jehoshaphat says a prayer I have uttered to the Lord more times than I can count. O oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. I don't know what to do, Lord. I don't know how to solve this problem. But here I am in thy house. Now, when Jehovah speaks, listen to what he says. Verse 15. Hearken all ye, hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. Why? Why should I not be afraid? Because I brought it where? To his house and made it his battle. My covenants made my problems his battle. And he gladly accepts it, doesn't he? For the battle is not yours, but God's. 
increased divine attention and help in his house. That's why we need priesthood tools. That's why we need temples. He says, go out against them, but you will not need to fight. Now, this is specific to their battle, but see the symbolism. You won't need to fight in this battle. And that's not always true, because sometimes I've been asked to fight to the death to solve a problem I have. But in this particular case, he says, you won't need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And that, I testify, is always true. If I take my challenges to his house, they become his challenges as well. And I may need to fight. I may need to just sit back and watch. But he will be with me. Do you see why we build them? How about we do Salt Lake Temple? This is from Wilford Woodruff's dedication of the Salt Lake Temple. Our Father, may peace abide in all the homes of thy saints. May holy angels guard them. May they be encompassed by thine arms of love. May prosperity shine upon them, and may the tempter and the destroyer be removed far from them. Heavenly Father, when thy people are oppressed and in trouble, surrounded by difficulties or assailed by temptation and shall turn their faces towards this thy house and ask thee for deliverance, for help, for thy power to be extended in their behalf. We beseech thee, Father, to look down from thy holy habitation in mercy and tender compassion upon them and listen to their cries. Now, do you see how this personal revelation is tied to this? Let's do one more. Let's do one more. Go back to that dedicatory prayer. Why go to the temple? Why build temples? Go back to section 109, Doctrine and Covenant section 109. Let's read 12 and 13. Section 12 and 13. Anyone want to read? Verse 12. Macy, please. That thy glory may rest down upon thy people and upon this thy house, which we now dedicate to thee, that it may be sanctified and consecrated to be holy, and that thy holy presence may be continually in this house, and that all people who shall enter upon the threshold of the Lord's house may feel thy power, and feel constrained to acknowledge that thou hast sanctified it, now, allow me to interchange two words. You tell me if you're comfortable interchanging two words. See if I can interchange this word and this word. I think I can read it both ways. That thy holy power 
may be continually in this house. And that when anyone, anyone walks through the threshold of this house, they may feel thy presence. Why do we build houses? To simply be with him. Now, I've noticed a trend. Can I just note, can I share an observation? A lot of people take that promise that the Holy Ghost is always with me to mean the Holy Ghost is always talking to me. And people get troubled when they don't receive revelation. What's the promise of the sacrament? That his spirit may always be with me. Not always talk to me, but be with me. And those of you who've been to the temple know that when I stand in front of that veil, God and I are connected. God and I are connected. Everywhere I go, God and I are connected. I can't go anywhere, and I especially can't go out of that, I, I can't go anywhere in that temple without being with him. We build temples to be with him, to feel him. Now, I allow God to take the place of you know, mom and dad. I have been asked one question more than any other question. In fact, all other questions combined. My children have asked me one question more than anything else. And that question is, where's mom? Where's mom? Even my adult children, where's mom? My children walk in the house and they see me and guess what they say? Where's mom? And quite often I tell them where mom is and they don't go run to find her. My son, my 21 year old son would come into the house and say, where's mom? She's upstairs and he'd make a sandwich. It, why, why did you? I just need to know she's there. And as long as mom's there, then what? I'm okay. Now, why do we build temples? I just need to know what? That he's near. I just need to be with him. I have a son who is terrified of wind. He is terrified of wind. Anytime it's more than about the wind ever hits more than about 12 miles an hour, he's in the basement hiding. He's terrified of wind unless dad is there. If dad's there, everything's okay. He'll come out of the basement if dad's there. First thing in the morning, if he knows that Wednesday, you know, Wednesday, Wednesday it's going to be windy. First thing in the morning, dad, where will you be Wednesday night? I need you to be home. Now, why do we build temples? Are you home? Are you here? I'm here. Just to be with him. Just to be with him. Um, on June 5th, June 5th, 2002, 
a very evil man broke into a home that was not his, put a knife to a little girl's throat and took her from her home. She was 14. He took her up into the mountains of Salt Lake and did horrible things to her. <clears throat> that little girl was 14 at the time. When all of this happened, this was my little girl. She was seven. Guess what she just found out that day? What did she find out that day? That little girls are not safe in their bedroom. Even if your sister's there. And that terrified her. That night, in the middle of the night, she crept into mom and dad's room and slept on the floor. And she slept on the floor, floor for nine months. At some point in the middle of the night, she'd wake up terrorized and she would go to where she felt safe. Now, where do you think she slept? Next to dad. I have a nine-year-old that's now doing that. I tuck him in, convince him their bed is much more comfortable. But quite often they wake up in the middle of the night in a panic. And they go sleep in the one place they know they're safe. You see why we build temples? Now go there for ordinances. But go there to be with him. To connect with him. To feel him. To know that he's home. And that he's here. And that I'm not forgotten. And that I get increased divine attention in his house. Of that, I solemnly testify. Take advantage of priesthood built temples to increase personal revelation. Get to the temple where you receive increased divine attention. And you can't even walk through the flesh, fresh, you can't even walk through the threshold of the house without feeling and acknowledging that he's there. Of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.